from creepy hotels where the guest never left to forgotten asylums with broken pasts. Come join us as we explore some of the darker stories surrounding the United States. Put on your nightlight because we are about to dive into the creepy side of America. Welcome to the Creepy Side of America. I am Dan Kozlowski. Joining us this evening from the WNEP team is Emily Gertschman. Once again, Emily, welcome to the Creepy Side of America. Thanks for having me back. And we have another cool, creepy story to share with everybody tonight. This one's from St. Louis, I believe, right? St. Louis, Missouri. Yes. Tonight we are sharing some stories from the Lemp Mansion. Yes. And tonight we're talking with Betsy Burnett Bellinger. She is the paranormal investigator and historian for the Lemp Mansion. Betsy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is great. So, Betsy, when we were doing our research on starting the show up, we came across the Lemp Mansion. It definitely sounds like a very interesting location. It truly is. I think it's unique in, in a lot of respects, but it is pretty amazing, uh, you know, in so many so many aspects of it, from the haunting to the way it's run as a restaurant. And I don't know, it's just really a, it's really a wonderful place to be. Great. And so just in case um, some viewers who are listening don't know where the Lemp Mansion is located, can you just touch on that a little bit? Sure. Um, well, we're in St. Louis, Missouri, and we're located not far from the, the uh, downtown area in a little area called Benton Park. And um, it's, it's um, right off of uh, an interstate, which is Interstate 55. And it's been there for, well, uh, well over 150 years. I was going to say, I believe I read that it was built in the 1800s. Is that right? 1868. Yeah, it sure, it sure was. Still there. We almost lost it <laughs> in 1960 when that interstate went through. It was supposed to go right through the house and right through the house next door. But the house next door was purchased by a guy who turned it into a, a historic monument, more or less. So it saved itself, and it saved the Lump Mansion, too. So that's why we're still there, thanks to that man. His name was Lee Hess. So. It, it seems like the family was very much into the brewery industry in the early 1900s, I believe? Um, actually, all the way from the 1800s. Um, Adam Lemp, who was the patriarch of the family, first came over from Germany in the 1830s. And he ran a, a small grocery business down where our where our riverfront is and it was the the commerce area then and he did very well for himself he was a very wealthy man a very educated man he had been a brewmeister in germany so that was his his dearest wish so as soon as he was able he opened up a brewery and it was located about where our gateway arch is and it was there for a number of years uh until adam's death and then everything was moved to the south area south of of downtown which was more like country area back in those days. But it was ideal for him because there was a cave that he could store beer in. It kept it colder and, and so forth. And it ch eventually was changed to the William J. Lemp Brewing Company. And that was about 1864. And does that brewery still exist today? The grounds do. The structure does. You can see the lump sign on it you know carved into the the brick and and there's also ISCO which means International Shoe Company 
because in 1922, the International Shoe Company bought the majority of it. So um, it is there, but it, of course, it hasn't been run as a brewery since about 1918. Not a brewery. Got it. And so obviously, this family that was behind the brewery lived in the Lemp Mansion. They were the Lemp family. So can you just talk about the people who lived in this home? Sure. Um, well, after Adam Lemp died, his son, William Lemp Sr., uh, he took over as the president of the brewery. Now, his, his father, Adam, was such an um, ingenious man and, and uh, such a good businessman, but William even took it further than that. He did an expansion on the brewery that um, lasted his entire life when he died in 1904. The Lemp Brewery covered 10 city blocks and 25 acres. I mean, it was the premier brewing company in the United States. And he was married to a, a woman by the name of Julia, um, and they had 10 children together. And out of those children, uh, they lost their first little daughter when she was just a toddler, but they had six surviving sons and three daughters. And at different times, those sons and daughters lived in that house. It was uh, bought uh, or constructed, I guess, um, in 1868, as I just told you. But um, so they all didn't live there all at one time. There, it's a very large house. It's a mansion. But there is, uh, you know, there would have been a lot of people <laughs> in one house, considering that the grandparents lived there, too. So it was a, it was a family, family house for a long time. And how far is the home from the brewery itself? Is it located right on the property or is it a little distance away? Or not, it's about a hop, skip, and a jump. It's okay. like a half a, a half a block. And actually, talking about that cave system, they, there was an entrance to the tunnel that led to the cave in the house. So if they didn't want to use the city streets, so for whatever reason, they could go through a tunnel and they would be in the brewery property. That's right very away. interesting. They didn't have to go outside to go to work. Right, right. <laughs> I guess if it was pouring rain or right. bitter cold, you had a had a different outlet there. Tunnel connected to the house, too. Nothing creepy about that at all. <laughs> yeah, I know it. I know. I've had the good fortune of being down in the cave a number of different times, and it was so incredible. I, I, I can't say that it was spooky, spooky, but it was it was just to see all the history there of how they ran the big barrels of beer through the, you know, around with pulleys on the ceiling and where the lagering tanks were. And it just was amazing. It truly was for me anyway. <laughs> I'm sure it was very amazing. It sounds like very yeah. interesting, especially them using caves to hold the beer. Right. You know, St. Louis and, and the Missouri itself has a lot of caves in there. And at one time there were hundreds of caves and a lot of the, uh, that were used for a lot of the breweries, and there was a lot of breweries, little ones, big ones, and they all utilized the cave system. It was ideal back in those days because they didn't have refrigeration like we do now, electric refrigeration, um, and they had to depend on ice and things to keep the lagering tanks. Not a lot when you lager beer, and lager means storage, but you have to keep the the tanks cold. And nowadays, it's, it's easy because they have all this refrigeration. But back then, they would even break ice chunks from the river, uh, Mississippi River, which is not too far from any of those breweries. And they could pack them around the lagering tanks and keep them cold. So it was, it was um, you know, ingenuity, I guess, in, in its best form. A lot of work to make beer back in the day. <laughs> I know, but it was profitable, believe me. That yeah. This was a beer drinking town. And they, they uh, serve beer all over the world, really. 
they were, uh, in fact, they were one of the, the main beers on the Titanic. I think that's kind of interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> and they Very served cool. beer in, in the 1904 World's Fair. They were one of the main beers there. So it was, you know, it's had a long history. Very cool. So obviously the brewery connects back to the house. So you mentioned, obviously, the house is very large, wouldn't be called a mansion if it's not. So can you kind of just touch on, you know, some of the different features of the house, you know, how many rooms and any kind of interesting little tidbits about things in the house? Well, um, it's an Italianic uh, style and uh, it's deceiving from the front because it looks like it's not very wide, but it's long (laughs) in the back, you know. Um, So it has uh, 20 something rooms in it. Uh, they use it for bed and breakfast rooms now, but they were the family bedrooms on the second floor and the servants' quarters on the third floor and storage area and the laundry facilities. The living area was on the first floor and where they had uh, little sitting rooms and large parlors and big um, uh, dining room. And, and uh, there was a sitting room for Mrs. Lemp, Julia Lemp. She was a very quiet woman and liked her her peace and quiet. I guess with all those kids, you couldn't hardly blame her. Yeah, you said she had 10 kids. I can't blame her. (laughs) Quite a big family. Quite a big family. So she would would, uh, withdraw into that area where she filled it with birds and flowers and it was, it's really a cool room. They, they, the people who own it now are the Pointer family, and they've owned it since the early part of the 1970s. And they, they've really done a good job in keeping it to look like it did back in the Lump era and still make it serviceable that people can spend the night or have dinner or, you know, they have a lovely uh, all-you-can-eat chicken dinner on Sunday, and that's very popular. So people are very comfortable there, but it still looks like it did back Back in the, back in the day, you know, and for all were twenty years from nineteen fifty to nineteen seventy, it was a boarding house, not owned by the Lumps at all, not owned by the Pointers, and it was pretty run down by the time the Pointers got a hold of it, and they they really uh, worked really hard. They were a large family as well, and every son and daughter <laughs> rolled up their sleeves to make it what it is today, the the beautiful home that it is today. Sure. Still. Now, we did see that you guys are on quite a few lists across America as one of the most haunted locations. Can you touch on yeah. some of the stories that are behind that property? Yeah, where did the where did the haunting begin? Well, I'm not sure. I have a feeling, you know, not uh, living there myself, and, and I was just a little toddler myself when Charles Lemp, who was the last Lemp to live there, uh, committed suicide in 1949. But... Um, I have, from my communications with him, you know, I'm a, a medium and uh, I'm a spiritualist, so I do communicate with the dead. And Charles, um, I have a feeling, were, was was uh, one of the, the reasons that he took his life, besides the fact that he was quite ill, was the fact that there was all of that spirit activity there. Now, you have to think about it. It was his family that was there. And so they... You know, that probably played on the fact that it it um, made him either want, want to be with them or to escape from them, one or the other. But the haunted activity, I'm sure, started way before that. The place was run down and spooky looking, and the kids in the neighborhood would terrorize poor Charles by pounding on the door and then hiding in the bushes. And he would run out on the porch and say, get off my porch, you know, kids. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> so... I'm sure that the kids were terrified of it, and and there could have been that you know that stories from 
from people peeking in windows and so forth. But the first actual, I guess, uh, recognition came from Life magazine after the Pointers took over. And in November of 1980, they, they put out a publication of one of their weekly magazines. And it was uh, terrifying tales of nine haunted houses. And there was the Lump Mansion. That was the first national recognition, I think, that uh, that they got. But since then, I mean, everybody has tried to visit. You know, just recently we had the folks from the, um, oh, what's the name of that? The, um Winchester Mystery House. Oh, yes, out in California, right? Yep. Right. They were there. They came over. They came. There was a convention here, um, um, I guess a spooky convention, and they were coming for that. And so um, they visited with me for a while, which was kind of interesting because we were sharing stories and and so forth. Um, But we've had had a lot of visits from all the ghost people, (laughs) all the paranormal investigators that that are on television and write books. And sure. I've been lucky enough that I've been their contact. So, you know, I've got to meet a whole lot of people in the <laughs> sure. 26 years that I've been there. Is that how yeah. long you've been with the house? 26 years? 26 years, yeah. It's hard to, what hard are, to fathom. What are some <laughs> of your favorite paranormal stories after over that 26 years that either you heard of or maybe even happened to yourself? Well, some of them have happened to me and others have happened to, you know, people, people that work there and people that, that tell me stories, you know, from simple little stories, uh, a lady spotting a man standing at the foot of the bed and terrifying her. She didn't believe in ghosts, though, she said. But she <laughs> saw the man there, and I think maybe after that she, she said... Likely and changed her just, tune. <laughs> I said, likely, you know. Um, my friend spent her honeymoon night there, and and she, uh, went, she went into the restroom, which was uh, attached to where her and her hus- new husband bedroom was and she while she was in there she set her camera on a little little uh, cabinet and it took a picture of her <laughs> the the flash went off and <laughs> there she is in the picture uh those silly little stories to people being you know sometimes people are terrified and they leave in the middle of the night they always tell them how to leave and what to do if you're going you got to go out the back door but me i mean i've encountered so many spirits and discovered names for spirits that had uh, some ugly names prior to that. There's a young boy that uh, is part of the Lemp family, and he was um, he was a, a challenged guy, little guy. Um, I, in my indication, he died when he was about 16, but he still had the mind of maybe a, a toddler, a little little guy. Um, and people called him really ugly things because of the way that he looked. And I'm not going to tell you what that is because I don't ever say it anymore. But it's an animal name. And I just, it bothered me so much because this sweet little boy was there as a spirit. So after so much communication with his brother, Billy, who is my favorite spirit there, um, Billy told me his name was Zeke. Now, Zeke could be his nickname that Billy called him that, but it could also be his name. So now... So many people call him Zeke instead of the u- ugly name. So I'm, I, it just makes me feel good. So I've had encounters with, with both of them um, and with this other spirit. Now, this was probably, there were two times that I was really kind of unnerved. Oh, well, more than that, really, but two times that I can, that I'll share with you. One was a long time ago, I was doing some research up in the third floor area and it was before they remodeled up there, and now it's really beautiful with 
lovely bedrooms and so forth. And I was up there with one of my team and um, encountered this just belligerent spirit who wanted us gone. And I stood up to him, you know, all five foot two of me and said, listen, I'm not afraid of you. So if you want to make your presence known, please do so. And I was terrified. <laughs> I was. Did shaking, it make its but, presence known? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Only it came, it came whooshing at me in the form of a stink, a smell. It was so awful that I thought I was going to throw up. I mean, it smelled like the worst bad breath you've ever smelled. Oh, my in gosh. Your life. <laughs> it was awful. Um, but I told that story to one of the, the, the people, that, the paranormal investigators, the, the ones that are on television, the, the ghost hunters. And they came to the conclusion, because they had an encounter with him, too, that, oh, it didn't smell like bad breath, Betsy. What it smelled like was rotting flesh. Mm. Ew, ew. <laughs> you know, I, I, I said, I've never smelled rotting flesh. And I said, well, yes, you have, because that's what it smelled like. But <laughs> So now I, I, you know, I called him Mr. Stinky for a long time. So now uh, somebody said, why don't you call him Oscar? And I thought that was a nice old-fashioned name. But he goes, no, 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 no. You know, Oscar, he lives in a garbage can. <laughs> he's real crabby and he smells real bad. So, And ever since we started calling him Oscar, he's a lot friendlier. Maybe he just wanted a name. <laughs> he wanted a name. Wanted some recognition. That's usually, you know, that's usually what spirits want is some recognition, some communication. Sometimes they don't even know they're dead and they're wondering, why aren't you paying attention to me? Why aren't you? Why can't you see me? Why aren't you me? talking to me? Right, right, right. So um, that's just one of my stories. But, you know, I've, I'm full of them. <laughs> sure. You mentioned there was a there were two kind of unnerving moments. What was that? Oh, what was yeah, that second one, if you don't mind? That's OK. <laughs> no, that's quite all right. Well, then, uh, few, well, before that, this was right maybe about two or three years after I was uh, as was working there as the paranormal investigator and guide. Um, I decided I, that I would have a party uh, and invite people to come and then they could rent out the rooms. So I called it the Supernatural Slumber Party. <laughs> and so people came and they booked the rooms and we, we had a wonderful evening. We started with dinner and stories and things like that. We did all the investigations we could. It got to be about four o'clock in the morning and they were, they were exhausted. <laughs> so they were going to go up to their rooms. And I was relegated to sleeping in the hallway on the first floor in this little bitty rollaway bed. And my partner who was working with me that night was sleeping on the couch. He was sound asleep before I even decided that I could lay down. But I was really scared. I was down. I was scared. First time I had ever spent the night there and I was surrounded by open rooms. So I laid down, but I left on all my clothes, including my shoes, because I thought, you know, I have to get out of here in a hurry. I'm going to be prepared. And I You were ready to my, run. <laughs> I was ready to ready run. Ready to escape. And I, <laughs> so I, I even covered my head up. You know, like when you're a little kid and you get scared, so you put the cover over your head, the safety blanket. Well, I did that. Whatever and works. In there. <laughs> I know. And all of a sudden I hear the um, the men's bathroom door down the hallway open up. And it, it still squeaks to this day, no matter how much oil you put on it. It's like that. So... I went, oh, and or it happens again. And so I'm, I'm saying to my partner, yeah, are you hearing that? And, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I heard it. So we both get up and we look down the hallway and there's nothing there. And he goes, I think it was your imagination. Well, now, if you heard it, how could it be? Well, never mind. So I get, he goes back to sleep immediately and I lay there and I put the cover on my head. I go, well, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to fall asleep. And I was sound asleep. I was out. 
But I woke up really quickly because I heard someone walking around like in a circle around my bed. I could hear these heavy footprints. Boom, 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 boom. And it stopped. And it stopped at the head of the bed where my head was. And I could feel this this presence, this energy bending over me. And he started to moan. And I say it's a he because it sure sounded like a man to me. It was like, oh. And it kept going and going and going. And I kept thinking, what do I tell other people? I'm so scared. What do I tell other people? And so I started repeating things that I say, you know, I'm too scared. you got to go away. I'm too scared. you got to go away. I'm too scared. you got to go away. And it stopped. But I still laid there because that was almost worse because I didn't know where he went, what happened there. And then so it was about 5 o'clock in the morning by that time. And I could see light coming in the windows, you know, even though I was under the blanket. So I threw that blanket off as soon as I saw daylight, and I was heading out the front door. And then I stopped because, wait a minute, I told that spirit I was too scared, and he heard me, and he stopped. He listened. I know. It was a big breakthrough for me. It was like this communication that I waited for my whole life, and there I had it, and I didn't even realize it until that other moment. So that helped me. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he was there to scare you. No, he was trying to just probably say, "Hey, what do you do?" Like you said, you know, they want to be they want to be recognized, they want to be known. Right? Yeah, like, "Lady, what are you doing now?" You know. So, it was great. And um I can't say, you know, I sometimes am accused of being too happy and too peppy and things like that, but I try to keep um uh, it's the laws of attraction if you put out a lot of positive energy, even with the spirit, sometimes you get it back. So, I feel that way. Now, I can't say that every encounter I've had in that house has been lovely and, you know, a big breakthrough. Some of them have been, I don't know, not not good. Some of them, uh, there's wandering spirits that come through in some time. They always direct themselves to me because I'm in the front of the room. You know, I'm telling the stories. And, and so I hear all these things, you know, these sometimes really foul things said to me because I, I can't stop what I'm doing and help them, although I try. But sometimes I have to ask them to leave, and that just doesn't go over well. Sure. <laughs> now, are there any kind of specific, um, I don't know if you would call them hot spots or anything in the house that's kind of like a, a particular area where kind of unsettling well, things are known to happen? To be truthful, um, they're there 24-7, 365 days a year, and they're they're not, uh, except for Zeke, um, everyone is everywhere. But... I think the third floor, because it's more isolated from the rest of the house, so it has less human activity, human energy to interfere with your being able to communicate with spirit or or seeing things. Um, I think the third floor is uh, more of a hot spot, if you want to call it that. Um, There's two rooms up there. It's called the Lewis and the Frederick rooms. Lewis and Frederick were two of the brothers. And uh, they didn't stay up there, but the, the pointers have named every room after somebody in the Lump, Lump family. And so, um, th- you know, those two rooms to me are just really, really got a lot of activity in there, I find, uh, I find anyway. Sure. And you said that third floor is places where people could just come and stay if they were so brave enough to come and want to spend a night in the Lemp Mansion. Those are, those are oh. rooms that can be rented out on the third floor now? Yes, most definitely. There's three rooms up there, and they're quite lovely, actually. You know, they're uh, each one, each room in the house is a little bit different. It's like you're a, a 
family home, you know, every room in your house is different. So if we would stick a bedroom in your dining room, say, um, there, that would be a little bit different. But, you know, so everyone, some are really um, big and, and spacious and others are more cozy. And it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty nifty place. And on the third floor, the one room is, um, well, I find a lot of negative energy in there, but it is just really interesting looking. You know, it's it's small, but it's just, I don't know. It's very popular, that room. Now, I know you said in the past when we were just talking to you that the house was a boarding house for a while. Do you think most of these spirits are from the boarders or the Lemp family? Or or there was there any events over the history that might have sparked a little paranormal activity? Oh, yes. Uh, now, the in the Lemp family, there were four suicides. You had mentioned, uh, I think it was, was it Charles was the one that you had mentioned earlier? Yeah, Charles. There were some before him. Right. The father, William Sr., he committed suicide in 1904. And then 16 years later, his daughter committed suicide, but not there. She was married and uh, had a very, I don't know, rocky marriage. And she was not a very happy person. But there's a lot of speculation that she wasn't, uh, that she didn't commit suicide at all, that she was murdered by her husband. Uh, But it was ruled that it was a suicide Two years after her suicide in 1922, her brother, William Jr., who also is known as Billy, he committed suicide in the house. So there were three suicides in the house, and then their mother died um, two years after her husband, William Sr., died. Her name was Julia. She died in 1906 of cancer. Now, he's not a spirit there, um, and usually it's because of the way they died makes them an, an earthbound spirit. It's a suicide. It's a murder. It's an accidental death. It's something that wasn't supposed to happen. And that, a lot of times, will result in, in an entity, uh, an earthbound spirit. But now Julia, she died of, well, natural causes to a certain extent. But she remained there because of the fact that, that little Zeke was still there. She still had a connection felt, to the house. Yeah, right. So she, um, she felt guilt and remorse for leaving him behind, so she stayed. Now, she's a spirit here, but her husband isn't, and uh, and Billy and Charles are both spirits here. So that that's, uh, and, and Charles's dog. So I always say there's five <laughs> lamp spirits, and then there's uh, the other ones. And so I'm sure there were more in the boarding house days than what I am, you know, have privy in my mind right. to. Um, there's two that I talk about. There's a little girl spirit. Her name is Elizabeth. And then the Oscar, of course. And then there's another spirit that was kind of, uh, she worked for the Lemps, so she was part of their their saga, um, and her name is Sarah. Uh, but she was a, a, she took care of Zeke, actually. She was a caretaker for him, like a nanny. So I think it's kind of half and half. And I think there's going to be spirits there that we'll never really know. Sure. You know they could be dormant spirits or they could be, you know, they could be attached to someone else who, who is alive now and, and comes to the Lump Mansion. So there's all kinds of activity, all kinds of energy there. Yeah, I was wondering if there was anything that would spark the paranormal activity that you know of in the past. And I think you definitely answered that question. It definitely seems like a suicide would be something to spark a little bit of spiritual activity. Yeah, you said different different things that are unnatural sort of ways to die. Right, right, right. Yeah, it does, you know, and as as far as uh, Oscar, 
one of the owners uh, told asked me once. He goes, "Did I ever tell you about the man during the boarding house days that was stabbed to death?" I went, uh, "No, <laughs> you didn't." <laughs> so she told me a little bit more, and boy, it sounded like Oscar's story. You know that maybe that's uh, his his um, his story, his backstory, and so that's why he remained there. But he is also very uh, attached and very dominant that that um, he that's his house so to definitely so, this wasn't suicides just it was also some murders on the family in the family property too well i'm sure there wasn't and, and that was such a a run-down transient population that lived during that boarding house time who knows what happened you right. know who, who but there are so many people who passed through those those doors i mean that's when that little girl died uh and i i think she was murdered as well um, I looked for proof of that because I saw an indication of her death and it was very violent, but I couldn't find the, the actual proof, like in a newspaper article or something like that. So I was discouraged, but, um, I wasn't, uh, well, I was disappointed, I guess. So I really wasn't discouraged. Sure. I was, yeah. If so. anyone was looking to visit the Limp Mansion or maybe make a tour, take a tour, what would some information be? How would they get in contact with you? Do you have a website? Um, well, the Lump Mansion does, and they've got lots and lots and lots of information on there. They have, uh, of course, all their dining and all their special events, and and they mention the tours. But if you want to take a Monday night tour, and with the reason I do them on Monday nights is because they're always closed on Monday nights, so we have the house to ourselves, which is great. Um, so you, you contact me personally, and uh, the number that you call is uh, 314-625-4400. Seven four, and that's my direct line. But if you want to reach the Lump Mansion for any reason, it's three one four six six four eight zero two four, and they're they're open. Um, they're open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights for dinner. They have an all-you-can-eat chicken dinner on Sunday, and they do weddings and all kinds of things. They have a blues fest in August, and they have this huge. Halloween party in October, so there's always something happening there. That's interesting, too. So it's obviously, you know, the, the creepy part of the house, but then obviously you're saying they serve chicken dinners and have a restaurant. Are there any kind of creepy happenings that have ever had on, happened on the, the restaurant end of things, or is it mainly People, just in the house? <laughs> I I think it is. Uh, oh, you mean to the personnel in the, in the well, they, they – they don't really pay that close attention to it. I don't think, you know, no, for just... their own safety, they they know yeah. about it. But you know, if you if you have to go running upstairs to to get something from the second floor and you've got this in your brain, it's going to be tough for you to work there. But um, so they they but they have things happen to them all the time, uh, especially some of the the workers that have been there for a long time. Is there's a well, he was 14 years old. His name's Matt, and he's been there. He's in his 30s now, so he's He's been there all this time, and he is part of the Pointer family, so he has lots of stories to tell. Um, but uh, patrons, they they say, you know, I've seen this, I saw the dog, I saw, you know, I saw this, I saw that, and you know, um, unexplainable things. And of course, some of their family go, ah, you're full of it, you know. <laughs> but that's okay. I always say there's enough room out there for everybody's opinion. And and the way they believe in the paranormal. Of course, I have a big belief in the paranormal, but, you know, you get to choose how you believe. I always tell people also, you know, we have those five senses that we all know and love, the 
seeing and smelling and all that. But we also have a sixth sense. Every single one of us are born with it. And that is how we would be engaged with the paranormal other than normal paranormal. And we can, but that's the one that we can develop or we can push it away. We don't have to have it in our lives, but if you want it, you can try to make it part of your part of your life if you want to. Got it. And I think I have I have one more question. You mentioned the the dog a little earlier, and then you just mentioned the dog again. Can you kind of touch on the the dog? Because there's a a ghost dog in the house, which is kind of interesting. So just wondering there's what the more, story is there. There's actually more than one, but uh, the one that we always talk about um, was Charles Lemp's dog. Now Charles died in 1949, and the same night that he died, his dog was well. Charles shot himself. But before he shot himself, he he also shot his dog. And the reason is because he loved her so much. That was his baby, his his companion. And he was very obsessive about everything. He um, so he didn't trust anyone to take care of her. So he decided he would take her with him. And she was probably an old girl by then, you know, so um, and they are still together. Now, her name (laughs) comes from their non-alcoholic beer, <clears throat> which is called Serva. That's C-E-R-V-A. And it's it's kind of funny because Charles Lemp was the person who came up with that name when they were naming their non-alcoholic beer many, many years before Serva was even born. And I guess it must have stuck in his, his mind because that's what he named her. So when he lived there in the 19, later part of the 1930s and, and the 40s, he lived there with, with Serva and his um, his two servants, and that was it. Um, and um, she is the sweetest girl. <laughs> um, she loves people. She usually makes her presence known at some time during the tour and tries to get people to notice her. And if you don't, she's just a dog. She just goes away. Okay, well, all right. What kind I'm of things does she me. do to, to get people to notice that she's there? Well, she, she first comes to me. I'm usually at the at the doorway there. And I always sit down during that part of the tour and everybody else stands up for a while and she'll come over and she'll be right by me. And I show people where she is and see this, this is her tail. And if I put my hand down here, I'm in her energy and things like that. Well, if they, if someone says, come here, serve or they do something like that, she might walk over to them and lean against them. I you know, had people, uh, I even had one man, this was a long time ago, said that, that she licked him, you know, <laughs> so she came a big kiss and, he, he freaked out, but, you know. Yeah, I, I would understand that. I think I would, too. <laughs> a lick from a ghost dog. <laughs> yeah, really. But she's a sweetie. I just, uh, people used to bring her little milk bones. I don't think she ever ate one of them, but there would be milk bones sitting around. And and people bring toys now for, for Zeke. They have for years. But he's kind of scared now since they made that bedroom into a bedroom. And he hides quite a bit. So Sure. Yeah. Well, it definitely does sound like a very interesting property, that's for sure. Oh, it is. And if anybody just wants to call and chat, <laughs> I'm uh, more than willing to give them the lowdown and give them some advice. You know, there's a couple other things they do. They do this thing called the Lemp Experience, which is a uh, – I, I, I haven't done it for a long – well, I only did it once, but it was um, – they these uh, this group has night vision cameras, and they take you in the top two floors of the house, and you, they let you – tape with your while you're walking around and stuff like that so that's kind of kind of fun too and they have murder mystery theater and on the, the friday and saturday the comedy show so it's 
a lot going on. And once again, if anyone was interested in getting more information on the Limp Mansion, there is limpmansion.com. And once again, what is your phone number, Betsy? 314-625-4474. I'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, my pleasure. It's been fun. Just fun. Have a good night. Take care. You too. You too. Thanks so much, Betsy. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Happy haunting and all that good stuff. Of course. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us again for the Creepy Side of America. And Emily, thanks for co-hosting once again with us. Thanks. I hope to be back again. We'll talk about some more spooky spots all over the country. And until then, enjoy the Creepy Side of America. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Creepy Side of America. If you have any ideas or topic suggestions for an upcoming episode, send them to ghost at WNEP.com. We're dying to hear from you. <laughs>